I want to say a word about this sermon. Early on, I developed the concept of thinking in terms of a sermon that would sort of be my core value, as they say in the secular world. Decided that when I was leaving a congregation to go to another one, I would preach a sermon entitled, If I Just Had One Sermon. I knew it was my last shot at that congregation. And then also as I was arriving at another congregation, I preached the same sermon. And what do they need to hear? What great message am I carried with them as I come to a new church? And so uh, I've had a file about this thick because I did that in every church I came to or, or left as the case may be. And I've revised it, of course, due to the time and, and so forth. But we've come to that message today about if I had one sermon. You know, somebody said that most of the people that you meet, you only see for one time. I thought about that. You know, you go to the grocery store and you see people in the aisle, usually a husband's following the wife down, you know, and looking up to the cereal or whatever it may be. Or maybe you, you uh, go to the theater or at a restaurant, you see people around you that you never see again on the highway and the cars as you're sitting behind that person who can't understand what the green light means. <laughs> you're glad you can only see them one time. As a, as a young preacher boy, started preaching when I was in high school, and I came to realize that was the case because I would be called upon to fill in for somebody who was sick. I would go and preach, but uh, never invited me back. And I was in college. <laughs> Same way, several preacher boys uh, one of the other, Larry Roberts, who was in the service earlier. And uh, we would get invited to fill in for somebody in the area around the greater. Likewise, you know, you go and preach, and you'd never, never see him again. Uh, so I got to thinking about that. If uh, as a preacher of yesteryear's Richard Baxter, he, he said, "I am a, a preacher. Uh, my theme is to, as a preacher, is one who is dying to people who are dying. That's the message." So I thought about that, and I turned to scriptures. And it wasn't difficult to see. There were a lot of, of uh, such suggestions by Saint Paul. It just he never he could not get over the fact that Jesus Christ loved him and died to save him. Couldn't get over it. He said, for example, I'm resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the one we repeat as part of our communion ritual, it says, God de demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I said, that, that rings a bell. Uh, years ago, I attended a meeting where the fellow talked about C.P. Minnick, who's a bishop of the church up in North Carolina, uh, about the bishop there. Somebody told him his going away present. said, you know, when he went to a certain church, he established a Bible study on uh, Wednesday morning. Very soon it was a problem because there was a certain woman in that Bible study who 
would raise her hand somewhere during the lesson and she'd say, what's that got to do with John 3.16? He just got, he was, he, at first he was irritated to think she would interrupt him. That same thing, she sort of, and that's her hobby horse and everything you do, you got to preach that same thing. But then he thought about it. You know, maybe that's not it. Maybe she's trying to see how the whole Bible fits together. How that statement has to do with something in the Old Testament that doesn't may not seem like it fits too well in there. I've developed a new appreciation for that scripture. You know, it appears that there are a lot of people who can't believe that God loves them. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission this morning to tell you that God loves you. God loves you. Uh, did I mention that God loves you? And how about you over here? And in the wing, as we, we call it. Don't you forget that one day I stood up there and told you that God loves you. You can go, Minnick said, go to the Old Testament. You find a story about a preacher named Hosea. He's a prophet. And he was a hellfire down the damnation preacher. Everywhere he went, had the same message. If you don't change your ways, God's going to punish you. Israel, you don't repent of your ways. God's going to withdraw his protection of you and your enemies are going to come in and defeat you. And he proclaimed that all the time. He got on people's nerves. He, he, he was having all of a sudden a scowl on his face. But he'd go to the mall, walking down the mall, somebody see him coming, they duck into the first store they came to. They had more men looking for ladies' dressing because they were dead in there and not, uh, not have to face Hosea. Well, he continued to preach that way. That was a lot to preach about because the things were bad because the Israelites had started worshiping the, the gods of the pagans. They worshiped the god Baal or Baal. And one of the things about that was, uh, sad to say, is that Baal was a god of fertility. And they had temples uh, so that the men who wanted to worship Baal would go in there and consummate a serf service of sex in order for God to bless their crops, give them rain when they needed it, and so on. And that was what was going on. The, other, the second thing that was so bad was the uh, child sacrifice. And I reread that and thought about that. I said, you know, I suspect that all around the places where he visited there was a planned parenthood out. Well, 
In those days, they had no Facebook, no Instagram, and thank you, Donald Trump, no tweeting. <laughs> but he wanted to get the message across. He married a woman named Gomer. I researched it, she no kidding to Gomer Powell, but that was her name. <laughs> and he said, how am I going to get my message across? I said, I know what. I will name our children names that will call people to remember God's judgment on them. Well, the first one was named Jezreel. Jezreel was a valley near a mountain called Megiddo, and that's where a lot of the battles were fought, and a lot of the defeat of Israel by their enemies took place there. You might say in another time and period that would be Vietnam, Lake the name would be a similar reminder. So he said that the name the name the boy Jezreel. Second child was a girl, and they named her Lo Ruhama, which means not pitied or no more mercy. He said, How can I get the message of her to name the child this 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 name? And then in the springtime, like now, they'd have the recital. The children coming up and playing the piano and so forth, and, and the uh, announcer later would give it here a little low. Ruhama would now play her piece. And people would hear that name, not pity, no more mercy. He was getting his message across. The third child was another boy. And you could hear, go to the, uh, if that means low, uh, me means not my people. But if we don't change our ways, God's going to disown us and not be our God any longer. So he said, that's what I'll do. I'll name him uh, me. And a little later, he would go to the Little League ballpark and little Ami would play. The announcer would say, or the PA system would say, First base, Joshua, named batting first. And then the left fielder, named Abraham, he will be batting second. And Lo Ami is playing third base, he's batting third, and so on he would go. So that they go to the game, and they would be reminded about God's judgment, that God was going to throw them off, no longer be their God, if they did not obey. Well, it was a tough time for going with a man like that. There have been other marriages I've heard about that uh, would be that way. As a little girl was talking to her mother about uh, no white, going back and forth, mother was hearing her voice, and she said, said well, you know what, what went uh, on there? Uh, did they, uh, they get ha happy ever after, you know? She said, was it uh, uh, happy? He said, no, it wasn't. They got married. <laughs> a woman got on the city bus with six children. The driver looked down and said, Oh, uh, are those yours or are you going on a picnic? And the lady looked up and paused a moment and said, Well, I tell you, they're all mine and it ain't no picnic. Heard <laughs> <laughs> about a woman who was in the doctor's office, 
in the report on some tests that her husband were having made. And uh, the doctor said, I don't like the looks of your husband. And the lady said, neither do I, but he's good to the children. <laughs> well, Roma couldn't stand that any longer. So she left him and all those friendly named children. And it just so happens, because she had no other opportunities, she ended up being one of the temple prostitutes for the god there. Now you'd think that a man had been hellfire and damnation all of his preaching life, that boy, when that happened, she left and she ended up there, and everybody knew about it, that he would really rake her over the coals and he would lambast her and every message and all of that. Didn't happen. Something happened. He found a, uh, that there was within him a compassion for her. Well, you know what he would do? In the mornings, when he would go to the post office to check his mail, he would take the long way around just to go by the temple of Baal. And that if he stood across the street in a certain way, you could see over the wall, and you could see those maidens over there sunning themselves in the morning and trying to get over the orgy of the night before. And his heart hurt. Hurt. Well, after quite a long while, the rumor got out that they were going to be auctioning off some women slaves who were the prostitutes of the temple. And that Gomer would be one of those. Gomer went by there and checked it out and he said, yes, that's, that's, that's the case. He left him and went home. Came back later when the auction was going fine. Everybody was happy that people were having, really having a fun and the prostitutes being there. And particularly they were waiting for when Gomer would be the one. Enough. He called her name. Auctioneer gave a little bit of a description, background, and so forth. So who'll start the bidding? And somebody hollered out, two bits. Somebody else said, three bits. You know, oh, they would all laugh and go, oh, <laughs> boy, we really getting to that preacher's wife. <laughs> Nothing personal against him. <laughs> 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 They were having the biggest time of, of, of their lives, you know. So that went on for a little while. Finally, the auctioneer said, wait a minute. Is there, let's get serious with it. But not, not anybody willing to make a serious bid for this slave. Everybody looked at each other with kind of a, who would be dumb enough to vote her? And finally, there was a voice from the back of the room. And he said, I'll take her. Stop, I'll take her. Everybody recognized the voice. Hosea. And they parted as they made an aisle as he walked forward. And he came. To the auctioneer. He had a 
bag. He poured out the 15 checkers, shackles, for the purchase slave. Then he took a robe that he had retrieved when he went home, wrapped it around his shoulder. He said, come on, come on. Let's go. The crowd stood in awe as he took her to his side, carried her home. And that Hosea's life changed. No longer a hell fire damnation preacher. Preached the love of God. Some of the scriptures that fall in that particular book. Chapter 2, I will make a covenant for them. Then chapter, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. It was changed. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I led them with cords of human kindness, cords of love. I am God and not man, the Holy One. Among you, I will not come in wrath. And so it was. What a proclamation. Do you understand that God loves you? Did I mention that? That God loves you more than you know. From English history and literature comes a situation. 17th century civil war in England. Oliver Cromwell is the leader of the parliamentary army. It so happened that there was a young man who bolted from service and, and committed a, tre a treason, ran. Cromwell saw it, they finally found him, brought him to trial, court martial, found guilty. He must die, be hanged in the prison yard on such and such a day. His fiancée came to Cromwell, begged for pardon. No, we're in the war. Can't do that. We'll go with the date we've set. But when the day arrived, that young lady made her way to the chapel, which was right next to the prison yard where the hanging would be taking place. She went there and, and she made her way into the bell tower and crawled up the, the steps as it wound onto the top. In the meantime, the sexton came to ring the curfew bell. One thing you need to know about the sexton was he was deaf. He got there took the rope from the pig, began to throw his weight in, and instead of the clarion call that went off of the whole valley, there was nothing but a big thud, slap, thud, slap, being a back and forth as the sheep claimed to that trap. The sexton thought he had done his job. He put the rope back on the knot on the bed and went home. 
Over in the courtyard, all the criminals waiting. Why didn't the curtain bell, curtain bell, nothing. Well, let's go see what's the matter. And he makes his way across there out into the, and then to the, the poet picks up at this place. As his, at his feet, she told her story. Showed her hands all bruised and torn. Her sweet young face, still haggard from the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, go, your lover lives. Curfew shall not ring tonight. My friends, curfew is never going to ring for you. Because Jesus Christ was hung not on a clapper, a bell, and a tower, but on a cross, so that you, each of you, each of us, would know how much God loves us. Dr. E. Stanley Jones was a tremendous missionary of the church, he carried especially to India. And on one occasion, the intellectuals there wanted to hear about this gospel that he was preaching around the country. He accepted the invitation, went there, and in an unadulterated manner, he pre preached the whole gospel. When he finished, the leader of the group said this, said, if what Dr. Jones has told us here today is not true, then it doesn't matter. Going back to business. But if what Dr. Jones has told us here today is true, then nothing else matters. Did you get it? God's love for you. God's love for you. Everything matters. Some of us said this morning need maybe a, a refreshing of our understanding of how much God loves us and what we should do about it. Mary Weatherhead was a great preacher abroad that came to the United States to preach and he said, I come here for two reasons. One, God loves you. And secondly, what are you doing about it? <laughs>